Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Dave Rubin on Friday. He really is one of the easiest people to talk to. I've had him on the show before. I've been on his show as well. Uh, back when I was was big pregnant a couple years ago, and that was really fun. You guys probably don't realize, but not everyone on the show is easy to interview and easy to talk to. But Dave Rubin is just one of those people that you could talk to forever. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to Friday's episode. Today, we are doing something that I love to do. Today's kind of episode is one of my favorite kinds of episodes, if not my very favorite kind of episode. And that is we're breaking down a complicated topic, which means that this will be one of those episodes I'm just foreseeing that people will go back to, that you will probably share uh, with your friends just because it is breaking down as simply as I can, to the nitty gritty as I can, something that is very complex and very pervasive. And if you have listened to my podcast for any amount of time, you have heard me talk about this a lot. And I'm sorry that I'm wearing you out with this. But even if you have listened to all of my episodes, I promise that this will be an important and edifying and uh, informative episode for you. And we are talking about critical race theory. I'm going to break it down in a way that we haven't broken it down before. I'm going to apply it in a way that we haven't applied it before. And I'm going to link past episodes that we've done on it because I've had a lot of conversations with experts about it. And I feel like I have learned so much about this school of thought and what I'll argue is really a worldview and almost a a religion Over the past few months, my most listened to episode is my conversation with Dr. Neil Shenvey, who really has become uh, the foremost Christian expert and critic of critical race theory. He's just a very knowledgeable, insightful, and very compassionate person who has made it his job to read all of these books that are perpetuating critical race theory and break them down um, using logic and also using a biblical perspective. And he has a website, shinviapologetics.com. I'll link it in the description to this that I really recommend. He does a lot of book reviews. So many guys, so many of you guys have asked me, hey, can you talk about Be the Bridge, for example? Or can you talk about White Fragility? Can you talk about um, uh, the, I, for, I forget what it's called, Jamar Tisby's book. And he has actually done a lot of work on this and very fairly and I think kindly and honestly reviewing these books and drawing out where critical race theory has infiltrated a lot of them. A lot of people don't don't like him because of this, because he pushes back on this, but he's been a very good resource for me. My second most listened to episode, I believe, is uh, my conversation with Vodi Bakum, where we also talk about this. We talk about social justice uh, ideology. That's my most watched episode on YouTube. And so if you haven't listened to those or watched those, I highly recommend that you do that. I had an interview with Christopher Rufo, who has uncovered how critical race theory has influenced infiltrated our um, uh, government agencies and is being funded by our tax dollars. He kind of helped the executive order that was signed by President Trump to ensure that we are not funding with our tax dollars critical race theory. Of course, if Joe Biden is officially the president, he will overturn that and it'll be back to regularly scheduled funding of divisive ideologies. Um, but it was it was good while it lasted. And I will talk about why I believe this is uh, it is good to resist this. I'm going to break it down 
hopefully in a way that makes it really simple and allows you to um, uh, allows you to be able to see it in real life. So when you're scrolling through Instagram, when you see one of your friends share something, a lot of people buy into critical race theory without even realizing what it is or what they've done. Also had a conversation with Monique Dusan. She runs Center for Biblical Unity. Highly recommend following her and listening to that interview as well. So critical race theory, if you don't know, and a lot of you don't, and this is why I'm doing this episode, by the way, because I get so many questions on this still, even though we've talked about it so much, but people are new to my podcast or they start following me on Instagram, they see me talking about this, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. And and why would you? I mean, it doesn't seem to affect our everyday life. It's not something... It's not a phrase that we would necessarily teach our children. Um, It's not a phrase that you even hear if you're in corporate America and you're going through diversity and inclusivity training. They're not going to use this particular word. But it's important to know that critical race theory is the ideology that is behind uh, most of these diversity and inclusivity trainings and why they're actually counterproductive, why they're leading to actually more implicit bias and a fear. Unfortunately, this is a tragic consequence of all of this, of fear of by employers of um, uh, just a fear of running their company because they are uh, afraid that they are not going to be able to meet the new standards of so-called uh, anti-racism that is prescribed by critical race theorists. So let's talk about let's talk about what it is because it really is so pervasive. It is a lens through which to see the world. It is, in other words, a worldview. We talk about worldview a lot on this podcast. It shapes how its adherents view politics, theology, personal interactions, education. It's described as a learning tool by people who use it, but in reality, it is much bigger than that. It is more central than that. It is the hub of your wheel into which all of the spokes of life must fit into. All worldviews are. Um, And the worldview of critical theory views the world through the lens. I'm going to use a lot of vocab words today, and I italicized them in my notes because uh, I might put them in the description because it's important for us to know the vocab words. And so we hear it, we can think critical race theory. It is viewing the world through the lens of hegemonic power structures. So hegemony means the dominance of one group over another group. So critical race theory or critical theory, you can just say critical theory, sees everything as the oppressed versus the oppressor. You might have heard of critical um, critical reading or critical math or critical describing different uh, fields of study in education and academia. What they mean by that is very different than something like critical thinking. It is deconstructing those concepts until you get down to um, how they fit into this worldview of the oppressed versus the oppressor. So critical math, for example, in the realm of critical theory would advocate for teaching um, what they would call marginalized kids differently than you would teach white kids, and you wouldn't hold them by the same standards because it is viewing the world, everything, every interaction, every field of study through uh, hegemony, through the lens of power structures of the oppressed versus the oppressor. And in critical theory in general, these categories are determined by which groups have had more privilege or at least perceived privilege. So white, rich people, 
Christians, straight people, so-called cisgender people, uh, they are on the side of the privileged and even in some cases, in most cases in the world of critical theory, on the side of the oppressor, whereas black and brown people, poor people, non-Christians, gay people, transgender people are on the side of the marginalized or the oppressed. Now, that's critical theory, something also known as intersectionality, where you are looking at the intersections of uh, group membership that a certain person belongs to, and you are assigning oppression points based on that membership. So for example, I am white. That's one point against me in the camp of the oppressor, but I am a woman. And so I am oppressed by the patriarchy. And so I have some privilege, some marginalization. And those points translate into, in this world of critical theory and intersectionality, into social capital, into credibility. And so in the world of critical theory, because I have at least one marginalization uh, oppression point, I can speak to uh, certain things with a certain kind of authority, um, but I cannot speak to uh, racial issues, for example. I could talk about how I've been oppressed by the patriarchy, but I wouldn't be able to talk about, you know, systemic racism uh, from any place of authority. And so that is what intersectionality is. That is what critical theory is in general. And as I'll get into, although it does emphasize these superficial identity points and it does say, you know, you're assigning a and oppressor according to your group membership and your identity like skin color and sexual orientation and things like that. What it really prizes more than any of those things is ideology. So even though it gives me um, authority according to intersectionality as a female because of my oppression, if I were to say, for example, well, I don't believe that I'm oppressed by the patriarchy, they would say that I am just internalizing misogyny and that I am still wrong. And so even though it does try to assign authority based on your gender or based on your skin color, if a black person, for for example, says, you know what, I don't believe that systemic racism exists in 2020 in America, and I'm, I'm actually not oppressed and I have had equal opportunity, intersectionalist critical theorists would say you're internalizing white supremacy. So even though on its face it does elevate uh, these identity points like race and gender, if you go against the leftist dogma that critical theory is a facade for, covers for, is a part of, uh, then you're not actually a part of those groups. Does it make sense? It shouldn't make sense if you are a sane person. And but I have waded into these waters of craziness for you so we can understand it and recognize it. So that's kind of critical theory intersectionality. Uh, Let's talk about critical race theory. So critical race theory, um, it's a part of critical theory and of course intersectionality, but it categorizes people as the oppressed versus the oppressor, not based on all our other identity points, but primarily, if not exclusively, by race. So white people, according to critical race theory, are the oppressors and non-white people are the oppressed, specifically as we've we've seen most prominently, uh, black people are part of the oppressed in critical race theory. 
White people have had privileges, according to critical race theory, that non-white people don't. And we're just talking about uh, we're we're brushing people with a broad brush right now because that's what critical race theory does. It's a collectivist worldview rather than an individualistic one. White people, according to this theory, have culpability and responsibility, corporate culpability and responsibility and debt that non-white people uh, do not have, uh, no matter what, no matter what you've actually done in your life, no matter what you've actually said in your life, no matter what you have actually been actively a part of, it doesn't matter because your identity as a white person has given you privilege according to this theory and your identity as a non-white person, as a black or brown person has uh, given you, has marginalized you and has made you a part of the oppressed. White supremacy in critical race theory is a hegemonic power structure under which all systems and individuals are negatively affected, hence the term systemic racism. This is a fairly new term. So if you look on LexisNexis, for example, that's a really great tool to see like when words became popular and when we started using them. Although it's been around in some form or another for a while, it just recently became mainstream, used by politicians, used by places like the New York Times and the Washington Post, used in academia, uh, academia becoming part of our social lexicon. This is a very, uh, n- not a necessarily new idea, but it is uh, a newly popular idea in 2020. And so under critical race theory, systemic racism must be obliterated uh, in order to gain liberation and equality and justice for non-white people because it is an indication of a hegemonic power structure under which, like I said, all systems and individuals are negatively affected according to critical race theory. Um, Okay, I'm going to get into more of what that means and uh, a further definition of that, but we got to take a quick ad break. Okay, got to tell you guys about Simply Safe. So there is almost always a rise in break-ins, unfortunately, during the holidays. People are looking for gifts. They're stealing packages off your porch. Unfortunately, it's just the way it goes. So now is uh, a really good time to make sure that your home is secure. With Simply Safe, you can do that really easy, easily and very affordably. Uh, you can get 30% off any Simply Safe system and a free security camera. If you go to simplysafe.com slash Allie, that's simplysafe.com slash Allie. We use Simply Safe in our home and uh, we really love it. It has helped us so many times. We even have like a leak sensor under our sink and it let us know when we have a leak. And our uh, my husband was able to fix it very quickly. And that obviously saved us a lot of time and a lot of money if we hadn't realized that that leak was there. And so they really have helped us keep our home secure with security cameras and just your basic security system. It starts at $15 a month. Like if you just want to get the basic security system, you're still going to get their 24-7 monitoring. You're still going to get their excellent customer service. It's so easy to set up. You don't have to call a technician. You don't have to talk to a pushy salesperson. It ships to your house. You set it up with adhesives, you set it up on your phone, and then you're you're good to go and your house is secure. And so I really do personally, I highly recommend Simply Safe. It has just worked for us so well, better than any security system that we've ever had. And right now for the holidays, you can get 30% off of Simply Safe plus a free security camera by visiting simplysafe.com slash alley. That's simply with an I at the end. Simplysafe.com slash alley. This deal actually expires this 
uh, this Friday. Um, it, yeah, it expires this Friday. And so you need to make sure that you go get that right now, 30% off plus a free security camera at simplysafe.com slash Allie. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so in critical theory, in critical race theory, the way to this liberation from a systemic hegemonic power structures is to change the power dynamics so that non-white people are brought to the same place as white people. There must be a transfer of power and privilege. So that means, according to critical race theory, that uh, black people in particular should receive monetary reparations from white people. That's one example. White people should, quote, listen and learn from non-white people. You've probably heard that phrase a lot recently and that we need more even, in some cases, disproportionately more non-white representation in all fears of society, that there should be different treatment or even academic uh, or employment standards for non-white people. There was a measure in California to ensure um, that tried to pass. Thankfully, the majority of Californians voted against it, but to actually uh, to allow discrimination in the employment process, uh, allow racial discrimination so that companies would be able to legally discriminate against white people in an effort, again, to change these power structures to ensure equal outcomes. And so you can see how changing these power structures, according to critical race theory, actually um, encourages and necessitates bias. It necessitates some form of discrimination in order to try to get everyone even. Um, it, it is also advocating, for example, for the justice system to make judgments in light of privilege that uh, the accused has rather than on sheer culpability. I mean, this is part of why the Black Lives Matter movement started. Even though George Zimmerman, uh, he went through the proper trial and he had due process. And even though the Obama DOJ said, look, the the verdict of this case is actually correct. There's nothing more than that we can do. Black Lives Matter still said, no, that's not that, that that's not right. And that's why we're going to start this movement. That's why there are going to be riots and unrest. They say no justice, no peace. What they actually mean by that is this justice as defined by critical race theory, where you're actually supposed to account for these hegemonic power structures and um, and racial history and racial privilege when you are making cases in court, um, uh, when you are deciding upon the verdict of a case in court, critical race theory views all disparities as proof of discrimination. So if white people, for example, make more money on average than black people, that is because of racial discrimination, according to this theory. If the crime rate is higher among black people, that is actually because of racism as well. If the graduation rate is lower among black people, that is because of racism. If the employment rate is lower among black people, that is because of racism, according to this theory. Um, There is no further evidence that is needed of systemic racism than the disparities that exist. That is what uh, that is the theory that they perpetuate, because, again, 
They don't see racism necessarily as direct discrimination, but as an entire power structure. You'll hear words like the legacy of slavery. So it's a power structure that has always existed, that is keeping certain groups down, that is lifting other groups up. And we have to have a complete and radical revolutionary shift of power in order to change those things. There is never any other explanation for any kind of racial disparity and outcome. It is always because of white supremacy and this hegemonic power structure according to CRT, critical race theory. Um, And that is because, again, just to go back, according to CRT, black and brown people are in the category of the oppressed. Therefore, any disparity will always be a signifier of oppression, which according to CRT is caused by white supremacy. So now you can maybe see, maybe you've already deduced this, where we get the idea that it's not possible, according to people like Ibram X. Kendi, to be non-racist. Because CRT asserts that racism is not just something that you do or say or think, but it's an entire system. And as long as you play a role in it, whether you mean to or not, you are complicit. Uh, If you're not outright guilty, you are guilty of perpetuating a racist system, according to this thinking. So you have to be actively anti-racist, as Kendi argues, which doesn't just mean not being racist yourself or calling out people for saying something racist or saying a racist joke, but you have to actively work towards opposing systemic racism. So closing the gaps between white people and black people, which means, again, shifting the power dynamic, which requires a few things, according to CRT. And these have a lot of vocab words in it that I know you guys have heard, and I hope it's making connections for you now. So in order to shift these power dynamics, which is the only way, according to this theory, that you can be truly anti-racist, which is what you have to be in order to gain any sort of righteousness within this worldview, you have to, number one, recognize, call out, and then repent of your own place in the white supremacist system as an oppressor. Again, this doesn't mean that you've actually done or said anything that is racist, but by your mere existence as a white person in CRT and your lack of action in dismantling the hegemonic power structure of white supremacy, you are perpetuating oppression. So step one in dismantling the so-called system is recognizing the racism within yourself. You have to read things like white fragility, which of course is written by a white person, which is ironic. That goes back to what we said at the beginning, even though they elevate uh, these uh, identifiers like skin color and gender, what is really most important in CRT is ideology. And because Robin DiAngelo, who wrote uh, White Fragility, even though she's white, she is saying the right things. And so that qualifies as a book that you can read in the realm of CRT that is going to help you in step one of tearing down these power structures, which is recognizing the racism within yourself and repenting of it. Uh, Racism, according to CRT, taints everything that a white person does. They're basically born that way and they can't uh, they can't get rid of it until they realize that it is part of everything they do. This work is also known as decolonizing yourself. You've probably heard of that term maybe. Uh, decolonizing yourself, your work, and your life according to CRT. To decolonize is to remove the domination from a particular place. So by recognizing your role in oppression as a white person in colonial colonialism or asserting white domination, uh, you are beginning the work of decolonizing yourself in the spaces in which you occupy. This is not so different than what we see in um, 
what is described by these proponents as Christianity deconstructionism. You have to deconstruct all of these parts of your theology in order to get to the truth. Well, this is a similar concept. You have to decolonize yourself and dig down and find the white supremacy and how it is actually tainting everything you think, say, and do um, in order to be anti-racist and fight against the hegemonic power structure that is white supremacy and CRT, which leads to the second thing that you must do, which I know you guys have heard this for the past few months, you must listen to, learn from, and then teach to others the idea of people of color who teach CRT. This is a way of setting aside your, quote, privilege and learning from the oppressed. Um, So under this point, uh, it's important to realize that according to CRT, you do not have a right as the so-called oppressor to argue to bring up statistics, to disagree, or to at all question the assertions, the word choice, the tone, the behavior, or the narrative of um, an oppressed person, which would be in this worldview, a black or brown activist or educator who is teaching you about how to be anti-racist. This is what they would call policing. And you're not allowed to do that in CRT as a white person or an oppressor. You don't have the right to police black or brown people in any way. This idea is called, another vocab term, standpoint epistemology, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. Standpoint epistemology asserts that knowledge comes from your standpoint as part of an oppressed group. And like all of these ideas and terms, this is a a new academic term that is now making its way into the mainstream. So it means that people who have privilege, especially white Uh, white privilege cannot arrive, according to standpoint epistemology, which is a part of CRT, or you could say a CRT, CRT is a part of standpoint epistemology, cannot arrive at true knowledge because their privilege has blinded them. And therefore, they need to learn from the standpoint of an oppressed person, and in this case, a black or brown person, uh, to gain that special knowledge. So this is why a white person is not allowed to question the logic or the morality of a so-called oppressed person because, according to CRT, being in a group that is categorized as oppressed gives you access to special knowledge that so-called oppressors do not have and is therefore inarguable. Uh, So this is why you see a lot of shutdown of debate when it comes to this stuff because they actually see debate as a sign, um, as a... Uh, uh, the language of the oppressor. That's another phrase that you will hear a lot if you have any pushback whatsoever. It is the language of uh, the oppressor. Uh, Another word for standpoint epistemology, what I just described, is Gnosticism. So Gnosticism means special knowledge. So Vodi Bakum, which we've talked about, uh, or who I've talked to on this podcast, I've also talked about him a lot, calls this line of thought ethnic Gnosticism. The idea that your ethnicity gives you a special knowledge that white people cannot have without a non-white person teaching them. Gnosticism is a form of paganism. It's a form of, of a religion seeking special knowledge. It's a new age idea, which is actually very connected to all of this. We've talked about the New Age a lot on this podcast. It it is very intertwined. Uh, You often hear this Gnosticism described through the phrase, there's another vocab term, lived experience. So lived experience becomes the pinnacle of knowledge 
and of truth in the world of CRT, um, in that worldview. This means you cannot argue with it. Statistics are irrelevant and even offensive, no matter what. Refutations of a portrayal of history, like the 1619 Project, which is had, which has been debunked uh, over and over again by nonpartisan, even left-leaning historians, or questioning. Any assertion of systemic racism or the, quote, legacy of slavery, it all shows your racism. If you push back against this in any way, it shows your lack of empathy, your embodiment of oppression. So, again, push back using any kind of form uh, form of argumentation, no matter how accurate, will be deemed unempathetic. Empathy, another term that has been more popularized than ever in these conversations, is the most important and really the only characteristic that you as an oppressor must have. And really what it means in these contexts is agreement with the assertions being made by the CRT adherent. So it's not the definition of sympathy and empathy that we know and that I believe is very good to listen to someone, to hear their experience and to say, wow, you know, I've never gone through that. That is that is really hard. I'm so sorry that you went through that. It's That's not the form of empathy that we are seeing encouraged through CRT. It is agreement to and submission uh, to whatever the CRT adherent is saying. So as you've probably heard, uh, disagreement or defensiveness when it comes to these conversations is not just unempathetic, we hear, um, but it's also a sign of white fragility. So you are fragile. Uh, you are actually proving your racism. If you at all try to refute what, for example, a Black Lives Matter activist asserts or suggests or the conclusions that they come to based on their, quote, lived experiences. So really, your only option as a white person is a so-called oppressor, as someone who CRT uh, deems as privileged, no matter what your life has looked like, is to listen, to learn and not just be sympathetic, but to agree and to submit and to jump on the train. That is the only way, according to this worldview, that you can truly be anti-racist. Otherwise, you're a racist, no matter what you think, do or say. Which means that you must also, number number three, this is what you are to do to decolonize and to deconstruct the hegemonic power structure that CRT says is white supremacy. You must also, number three, advocate for the policies that activists tell you you must advocate for. So that's defunding the police, reparations, the redistribution of wealth and capital, a powerful centralized government that eliminates all disparities of outcome by any means necessary. Non-coincidentally, they are always left-wing policy Proposals, Uh, the solutions to these disparities or to real discrimination is never, hey, you know, we need school choice or we need a stronger family unit. We need free markets and economic opportunity. We need to get Planned Parenthood out of minority neighborhoods where they prey upon these poor teen moms. Those are never the solutions. The answer is always more government because the government is the only institution with the power to redistribute wealth, demand reparations, requiring things like, quote, anti-racist curriculum in public school, uh, take funding away from the police and reconfigure the justice system. All the things critical race theorists say will close 
all the racial gaps. But it's important to realize that critical race theorists don't care about the racial gaps in abortion, for example. They're not interested in the racial gaps, um, for example, in fatherlessness. They're not they're not interested in those gaps. They're not interested in, in the homicide rate gap. Uh, they are only interested in the gaps that allow them to present solutions that are always left-wing solutions. Uh, Their stated goal is to close those racial gaps. Really what it is, is just to uh, perpetuate and promote any uh, any left-wing policy. Um, they believe the government is the only institution that can accomplish the retribution and reparation that CRT adherents say the oppressed deserve. And that's the only way to liberation and to happiness and equality in the future. This is what liberal activists um, in this vein would call social justice. Another term I know you guys have heard. And social justice sounds innocuous. It sounds really good. It sounds godly even. Um, But it is defined in this way as an effort toward closing those gaps. Social justice is very different than what I'll at least for now call traditional justice, uh, the traditional definition of justice. It is not treating everyone equally as we understand justice. It's not blind or making sure that everyone is treated fairly. It is ensuring equal outcomes by whatever means necessary. That means in social justice, partiality, as we've already noted, or even bias is required. You have to hold back those who are categorized as oppressors. You have to push forward those that are categorized as the oppressed. Again, regardless in CRT of what your uh, life has actually been like and uh, what obstacles or opportunities you have been given, regardless of the choices that you've made, Uh, This is done by the policies that we've already listed, the redistribution of power until everyone has the same outcomes in life. And I'll show you exactly what that looks like in just one second. But we got to take one more ad break. All right, got to tell you about Built Bar. These are awesome protein bars that are super healthy, that keep you full. So if you're just looking for something to tide you over in the afternoon without, you know, getting Chick-fil-A waffle fries, which is a great option, but not always as healthy, or you're maybe even looking to uh, to lose weight, this could be a great option for you. Built Bars are a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I can personally attest to that. They've got 18 amazing flavors. They're all chocolate. They've got nine chocolate nut flavors and nine chocolate nut free flavors. They're soft. They're easy to chew if you're a texture person like I am. It's a really good texture. Um, there are a few different flavors. One of my favorites is peanut butter brownie, but if you're like a a fruity person, they also have a raspberry. That's got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams net carbs, which is just a really, really good nutrition profile there. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code RELATABLE. You'll get 20% off your first order. Use promo code RELATABLE for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Promo code RELATABLE for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so social justice. Social justice is collectivist in nature. It is not individual. It views every group by their membership, not by who they are or what they've done individually. So you see the connection between social justice and CRT. 
We see examples of this. Affirmative action is one. Uh, We're seeing things like what's happening in California schools, in some California schools, where they're getting rid of academic standards. This was also happening in New York, so that some groups will pass and graduate despite their effort and despite their actual performance. And uh, social justice, especially in CRT, would say that is something that you have to do to guarantee equal outcomes. If you have to have uh, different hiring standards for different groups or discriminate against one group in favor of another, like affirmative action does, like what California just tried to make legal, then that's something that you have to do, according to social justice ideology. If you have to issue different sentences for people based on their skin color, you do it. If you have to make uh, take money from one group and give it to another group, you do it. All in an effort for equal outcomes, as Kamala Harris, the uh, assumed vice president-elect, I'll say that, said in a video she put out a a couple days before the election that equity, that's another term that is used a lot right now. Equity, it means everyone ends up in the same place. In the world of CRT, equity does not mean everyone is treated equally and fairly as we would think of equity, but that everyone has the same outcomes in life. If this at all sounds familiar to you. So we started in the details and now we're kind of getting to... um, we're getting to where this actually comes from and the foundation of this idea. If this at all sounds familiar to you, that's because this is an old ideology that is being repackaged in a new uh, racialized way. This is Marxism now. People on the left are so tired of people on the right talking about Marxism. Everyone says this is just a buzzword. Well, a buzzword is simply used without actually defining what it is in order to shut down conversation. That is never ever my intention. I actually think it is my obligation. It is very important for me to be exact in the terms that I use and to define my terms because actually CRT and social justice ideology, they're constantly using buzzwords without defining the terms at all and they confuse people into agreeing with them. That's not my goal at all. I want you to understand this completely. So when I say Marxism, I mean Marxism. I'm not just using this as a buzzword. Karl Marx was the 19th century German philosopher who wrote the Communist Manifesto The Black Lives uh, Matter leaders have openly called themselves Marxists, so I'm not just assigning that description to them. They said that they are trained Marxists, and I really do appreciate that honesty. For the most part, I think Black Lives Matter is pretty honest. I mean, they had on their website that they want to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, as we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, A mom and a dad and a child is not Western prescribed. That has been the family unit uh, for the history of the world and most parts of the world. The Bible is not a Western book. It is an Eastern book. And we see the creation of the nuclear family in the very beginning. Whether or not you believe in the authority of the Bible, the Bible was written thousands and thousands of years ago in the East. So this is not a modern concept of the the nuclear family. But they're very honest, Black Lives Matter, and saying that they want to disrupt and dismantle it. Of course, they took it off their website after several months of getting so much pushback and it becoming this uh, point of contention for a lot of people who wanted to support Black Lives Matter but couldn't because of that. Well, they uh, took that down. They also, if you, and there's evidence of this, we've got the receipts of them saying parents and mothers, but never referring to fathers. That is because, again, they see the patriarchy and the nuclear family as a hegemonic power structure that must be taken down. That's all part of Westernism and white supremacy. And this all goes back uh, to Marxism. It goes back to communism. 
Their entire movement and organization is built on critical race theory, which is rooted in Marxism, which inspired communism, which is the ideology and way of governance that forces people into equality of outcome. So again, Kamala was being very honest in her video, which is frightening, but I appreciate. Um, so communism, in case you don't understand, and it's socialism too, as I'll argue, the state owns all industries, it owns housing, it owns property, the means of production are nationalized, so they belong and are run by the government. Uh, the state becomes your family, it becomes your moral arbiter, your caretaker, and it ensures that no one has more than another person. And the communist what they would call utopian vision. There is no nuclear family. Everyone belongs to themselves. They belong to each other in communes um, because there can't be any hierarchy or power structure that is outside of the state because any hierarchy or power structure or self-reliance or reliance on one another that is outside of the state threatens the power of the state. The power of the state is central and it's, it's vital to the existence of communism. So you see what is behind breaking all of these power structures uh, down. Um, and here's where we start breaking down critical race theory and explaining why it is a fallacious, a destructive and unbiblical worldview uh, where we are seeing it's a uh, seeing it rear its ugly head most recently and how we as parents, as as Christians, as students, as educators, as employees, as employers can resist it with everything that we have. So Marxism also categorizes people as the oppressed versus the oppressor, except unlike in critical race theory, they do so along socioeconomic lines. And so uh, Karl Marx, he said the oppressed were the poor or the proletariat, the oppressors are the capitalists, the rich people, and the bourgeoisie. And what had to happen happen in order for the poor people to no longer be poor and for there not to be this gap between the rich and the poor, the proletariat must have an uprising and they must take over. It will be a violent uprising. They will forcefully redistribute the property, the power, the capital, the money from the bourgeoisie to the poor. So everything has everyone equally. And for a while, the proletariat class, according to Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto, must rule by force to ensure that everyone has everything the same. But then after a while, he thought everyone would be so happy with having equally everything and sharing everything and everything will be so good that you won't any longer have to have a government that everyone will uh, rule themselves. Um, obviously, this hasn't worked. And if you're thinking, well, that's different than socialism. Well, communism, as Vladimir Lenin said, the leader of communist so uh, Soviet Russia said, is the goal of socialism. So communism is the goal of socialism. So whether you're talking about socialism or communism, you're talking about essentially the same kind of governance where the state must own everything to ensure equal outcomes. Ayn Rand, uh, author of Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, a critic of communism and socialism, said this, there is no difference between communism and socialism except in the means of achieving the same ultimate end. Communism proposes to enslave men by force, socialism by vote. It is merely the difference between murder and suicide. Uh, the reason it doesn't work is because it goes against human nature, as I've argued leftism always does. Human beings were created to create, to be productive, to earn, but not just for the state, to steal it and then to redistribute it as the state sees fit, but to provide for yourself and to provide for your family from a biblical perspective. Uh, we see that work existed and was created before the fall of man. It's not a product of sin. It's not a necessary evil. It's something good and right that men and women were created to do. We have every reason to think that we will work in heaven, that we will be working and productive in the new heaven and the new earth. Genesis 2.15 says that the man was put in the garden to work and to keep it before the fall. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So right there. In Ephesians 4, we see two indictments of socialism and communism, which again is the ideology under CRT, Black Lives Matter, social justice, so much of what we're seeing right now. Two indictments, do not steal and... Uh, uh, do not steal, and that is essentially what the government is doing in a socialist and communist country, and a commandment to do labor so that you will be able to directly share with anyone in need. You work, you earn, you give to others directly and voluntarily. Two of the Ten Commandments speak against communism, uh, communism and socialism. Do not steal and do not covet. God cares about private property so much that he issues two of 10 commandments protecting it, not just from theft, but also from someone even wanting your stuff. So that shows you that God honors personal property. He honors private property, that what I have is not yours and vice versa, and that it's even a sin for me to want what is yours. If you have more property and more capital than I do, I am not entitled to it according to God. So God does not uh, God does not say that you have a right to other people's stuff or that is it is the state's job to confiscate those things and to redistribute it to other people. That is theft, that is covetousness, which God is very clear, um, is a sin in his sight. God does call us to care for the poor. He does call us to care for the least of these. The early church uh, gave everything they had to one another. The key descriptor there is that it was voluntary. It was out of the power of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of their heart. God is very clear that giving under compulsion and under force, which is what socialism and communism does, is not godly. It doesn't count when it comes to God honoring generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So giving your money to the government uh, because you are required to or else you'll go to jail is compulsion. That is not cheerful, voluntary giving. That is not God's definition of compassion or generosity. As I often say, you know, we hear from the Democratic Party, from liberals, that we care for people after they're born uh, because of all of these liberal policies. Look, you are not more compassionate for voting for the politician who promises to take money from people richer than you and give it to people poorer than you, than the person who votes for small government, low taxes, and takes it upon themselves to cheerfully and voluntarily give what they have to other people. Because that is following God's command. Now, the Bible does say that we are to pay taxes and that the government has the authority to demand those taxes. Um, Romans thirteen seven: pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So it is not wrong for the government to use taxes and to use it as they see fit. Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And uh, that is what Christians are called to do. But we also see Jesus condemning uh, overtaxation and the exploitation of people by tax collectors collecting too much in taxes. Um, but in socialism and communism, where the state controls your money, your property and prom- and uh, your and your property and promises to distribute these things in the name of uh, compassion, that is not allowing 
That is not allowing the God-honoring generosity that we are called to. Communism and, so- communism and socialism, collectivism also misunderstands power. When you give more power and you give more money to the government, they are not benevolent. It's never happened in the history of the world. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. absolutely. That is how all of these socialist regimes in places like Cuba, in Cambodia, in China, in Soviet Russia, in Eastern Germany, that's how they took power. By baiting you with social justice and saying you need to redistribute your privilege and your power to us so we can redistribute it to the poor, that is compassionate, that is right, in the name of liberation and justice and equality and education and prosperity— We, your benevolent government, just need more of your money. We need more of your power. We'll redistribute it, and then everyone will finally be happy and equal. And if you don't do that, it's because you're rich and you're greedy and you're privileged and you're racist. That's how this has always gone. This is how left-wing revolutions, more or less, have always gone. Different terminology for different times and countries. Uh, But that is how people are always baited into it. But you only vote for socialism and communism once. And so people don't understand that CRT and so much of the terminology that we just use is the gateway into socialism and communism. Because again, it's it's not a coincidence that all of the solutions that critical race theorists give for closing those racial gaps and obliterating the, the hegemonic power structures are left-wing solutions. They're never, hey, personal responsibility. Let's teach people about finances. Let's do school choice. Let's be pro-life. Uh, it, it's never that. It is always more government, more centralized power, less freedom. This is why it never works. Because collectivism, socialism, and communism go against human nature. It misunderstands how power works. And what happens because of that is always violence. Uh, One, because left-wing revolutions play upon people's real desperation. So it uses a crisis, a political crisis, a socioeconomic crisis, um, or an economic crisis, or a public health crisis. And it uses the desperation in that crisis to create resentment in the masses to then revolutionize the system to create the world that they want to create that requires destruction, that requires violence, uh, that requires looting. It requires arson. It requires creating chaos and creating a place of desperation for people. And so they will say, please, someone, government, take over, make things fair and right and normal again. And you can see the reflections of that going on right now in our streets. And unfortunately, A lot of people are playing along, not because they want to openly advocate for violence, but because they have bought into social justice and CRT and they don't know what it's connected to or where it leads to. Um, They are doing so by, for example, while they're perpetuating the ideology of critical race theory, they are ascribing to value people to people based on race. They are ascribing collective guilt to people who are white, for example, assigning oppression to people who are not, again, not as individuals, but as members of groups, elevating lived experience above objective truth, adding empathy onto the list of the fruits of the spirit, using phrases like white privilege, going along with the rewriting of history, like in the 1619 Project, going along with the redefining of the word justice, going along with uh, the corporate culpability based on ancestry and skin color by the reapplication of Bible verses like Micah 6, 8 to mean something uh, that they that they do not mean. We're seeing this in the church. We're seeing this in corporate America. We're seeing this in the Democratic Party and even in some Republicans. We're seeing this in Hollywood. We're seeing this on social media. We're seeing this in the mainstream media. Uh, and in all of that, 
Christians who are latching onto this, not only are we refusing to critically think and to ask the simple question, what is actually true? What is actually right and good according to God's word? Remember, critical thinking is the antidote to critical theory. But we're also missing the gospel as Christians. We are missing the gospel, which means all of this doesn't just have very real political consequences and therefore consequences for people's lives that end in suffering and destruction for the very people that these revolutions start out wanting to save and help. It has eternal implications, spiritual implications. We are missing the one thing that actually reconciles and brings peace. We're almost done. Let me read. Uh, let me let me read this passage and then tell us some steps that we need to take in resisting all of this. Ephesians 2, 13 through 19, this is talking about Jews and Gentiles. But if Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled through Christ, then any two groups can. Talking about abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that Jesus might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace between Jews and Gentiles and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus came and preached peace to those of you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's the only hope of reconciliation that we've got. And if we are preaching anything else from our pulpits, we are preaching destruction and division. We are aiding and abetting a godless ideology that also and always uh, leads to violence. It leads to suffering. Do we right wrongs? Yes. Do we correct oppression? Yes. Do we push for justice? Yes. But these things have to be rooted in fact. They have to be rooted in truth. They have to be rooted in God's definition of justice, which as you guys know who have listened to this podcast so many times, God's justice is what? It's direct, it's truthful, it's proportionate and, parsh- and impartial. Uh, whether we are talking about punishment for the wrongdoer or restitution for the victim, those are the four qualifications according to God's word, which we have cited so many times throughout scripture on this podcast. That's what justice is. Social justice is the opposite in the world of CRT. It's indirect. It's collectivist. It's untruthful. It's based on perception rather than evidence and lived experience. It's disproportionate. And so it's punishing people for something that they did not individually do. And it is partial. It shows bias towards people despite their culpability. We have to refuse those things. That means we have to refuse to resist all of this craziness. We have to refuse the redefinition of words. We have to refuse the redefinition of justice. We have to refuse the the redefinition of right and wrong that is being attempted. We have to refuse the rewriting of history. We have to question phrases like the legacy of slavery, which Thomas Sowell breaks down so well in all of his books, like Quest for Cosmic Justice. We have to refuse the rewriting of history through narratives like the 1619 Project, which again, I, I will, I'll just link some of the fact checks on that. Refuse to believe everything that you see in here. Refuse to follow people that sound good, but something in you is telling you that this is not biblical. Refuse to allow the world, those who do not know God, who do not follow Christ, to tell you what justice looks like, what the dignity of life and the sanctity of life looks like. God tells you what those things are and you are his friend and you have access to his wisdom. Refuse to take blame for that which you did not do. Refuse immediate emotional reactions to news stories, even though the world is telling you that you must react in a certain way and repeat certain phrases in order to be virtuous. Refuse to judge people for better or for worse by their skin color. 
We're hearing a lot about how terrible white women are because 57% of them voted for Donald Trump even more than last time. And Kamala Harris said black women are the backbone of democracy. That sounds all well and good coming from Kamala Harris, but what we're actually seeing is a pitting against black women and white women. Black women as the backbone of democracy simply because they tend to vote for Democrats and as if that is what democracy means, just voting liberally. And uh, white women are apparently enemies of the state because the majority of us voted for Donald Trump. This kind of identity politics, this kind of critical race theory is what divides. It sounds innocent enough. It sounds positive enough. But really, it is ascribing guilt and innocence, virtue and immorality, according to people's skin color and essentially, more importantly, again, their ideology. Uh, We have to refuse to hold different standards or rules for different people based on their skin color before you repeat any new mantra, any phrase, any words you hear being used by the mainstream. We have to refuse to latch on to it. Stop, think, break it down, go to God's word, ask the question, is this true? Is this God, what God says is good and right? Uh, Write your state representative and go to your local school board. Talk to school administrators if you are seeing this stuff being taught in your schools. Take your kids, if you if there's any possibly way you can, take your kids out of public school or any private school or charter school that's teaching this stuff. Um, I've been talking a lot about this on my podcast, and I'll talk more about it uh, soon. I've talked a lot about it on Instagram of a highlight bubble about public education and the importance of being in control and in charge of your child's education for, uh, for their well-being, not just academically, but also morally and biblically as well. So those are the things that we have to do. We have to resist and refuse. We have to resist and refuse that uh, which is not true, that which God says is not good, that which always inevitably leads to destruction. Um, I could go on and on about this, and I kind of had to rush towards the end because I got to get out of here, but uh, I hope that at least gives you a foundation. And if you have questions, I want to clarify for you. So send me your questions on Instagram email, whatever, and I will try to answer them in a future episode. But I hope this has given you an understanding of what this ideology is, what it leads to, and where you can find it uh, in the real world and how you can resist it. Okay, that is all for today. I will see you guys back here on Wednesday. 